Uh, my name is Ricardo Simon. I'm one of the, the pastors here at Grace Church. I am really glad that you guys are here today. Um, I, I hope that you all had a wonderful week. This past week for me, it's just a little bit crazy, just sleeping wise, right? Just getting to bed really late. And it's kind of hit me <clears throat> that as you get older, you, you have a greater appreciation for, for, for sleeping. And right? Like, but matter of fact, I think even when you just, when you become a teenager, you have a greater appreciation for sleeping. Um, there, uh, uh, my, my daughter, who's, um, she's eight, like she will avoid sleeping like the plague, but I love taking a nap, like a Sunday afternoon nap after church, after lunch, after church. Amen. Since she got her hands up like hallelujah. Um, that is, whoo, that's great. But we just have less opportunities to be able to do that. Um, but so for her, we have a bedtime rule, right? You gotta, at seven, you gotta be in bed. Uh, we try to, to keep up with that, but she, I mean, she fights it. She tries to make the process as long as humanly possible. It should not take you 20 minutes to brush your teeth. It just, it just shouldn't. Um, so, but, but for her, it's like, it's FOMO. Uh, and when she looks at the rule, it's like, why do I got to go to sleep? And uh, so on and so forth. For her, it's probably like, as parents, we're torturing her because we have this rule. But from our perspective, it's good for her, right? As a, as a child, you need 10 to 12 hours of sleep each night so that you can develop to be healthy. Um, because if you don't, right, if kids don't get 10 to 12 hours of sleep, the next day they're, they're little monsters, right? Have you ever watched that movie, Little Gremlins? Have you seen Little Gremlins? All right, it's too scary for her now, but I I can't wait. I I just want to say, sometimes this is you. (laughs) Like, it's not water, but it's like the lack of sleep, and you turn into this little gremlin. Um, But it's good for her. So, yes, there's the the, the benefit of your time is up. This is, it's grown folk time. You go to bed, no more attention for you. But mainly it's because it's it's good for her. And so that's how we um, sometimes look at rules. But I think we can be, even as adults, we look differently at his rules. How many of you, raise your hand, are rule followers? You would say you're a rule follower. Raise your hand. I'm a rule follower. Let me see. I want to look at some of the faces here because I want to see, are you actually a rule follower just by knowing who you are? Keith, thank you. Your, your hand is down. You are not a rule follower. Um, if you're not, a, you can put your hands. If you're not a rule follower, you're a rule breaker or a rule considerer. Like you will consider whether you should break intentionally break this rule or not, right? And we all kind of fall in those categories. And let's be honest, sometimes it's all right to break the rules here and there, right? It's it's uh, it can be necessary sometimes. Um, I think about it like this uh, with the bedtime with the bedtime rule. Um, I'd say, Madison, all right, you know, it's your birthday. You can stay up a little bit longer. Now, she gets to break it. She gets to have fun because we're going to do something a little extra, right? So there's room to flexibility with the rules some of the times. I like following rules because I don't like to be in jail. I just, I'm going to do the thing that, that, keeps, me, that keeps me out of that. So uh, what if I told you, though, and this is what we're going to spend some time with today, that Jesus might not look at following the rules like you do, especially when it comes to religion or how we view Christianity, that Jesus might not look at, the, at following the rules the same way that you do. And for some of you, I've, I've, I've thrown a wrench in things. I've, I've confused you because you're like, well, isn't it about do this and don't do this? The Ten Commandments, don't, thou shalt not, 
like all those things. So if it's not about the do's and the don'ts, what is it really about? And so we're going to spend our time looking at Matthew chapter 12. And we've been in this second week of a series called Unveiling Jesus. Last week, Pastor Sean talked about Jesus as the righteous judge. Uh, and this week, we're going to be looking at a new aspect of Jesus. And so You've been following along with us uh, from the beginning of the year. We have a reading plan that sort of helps uh, support the, the, the different passages surrounding the teachings that, uh, uh, on each weekend. So some of you, the passages that I'm reading from, you will seem familiar to you, All right? So, but before we dig into Matthew chapter 12, I want us to set the table. I think it's important to understand a little bit of the context. So Matthew, in Matthew 11, verse 3, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. And a few chapters or several chapters before, uh, John says, as Jesus is coming to get baptized, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. You are the son of God, right? He makes this declaration. But here we have in Matthew 11, verse 3, John is in prison. and He sends his disciples over to Jesus and say, you need to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, I don't know what has happened between then and, and baptism. Uh, and, and reading some commentaries, there are different thoughts uh, as to why John is asking this question. Maybe he had some doubts. Maybe he didn't see things or uh, see things going on that he expected to see for someone who calls himself the Messiah. Maybe it was for uh, his disciples' sake who he sent over and say, you go and ask him if he's the Messiah so that you can be reassured that this is the guy to follow. We don't really know entirely, but that question is asked. And, and the way that Matthew approaches writing his gospel is that he is writing to Jewish Christians. Now, it's not our time like today. These were people who grew up in the Jewish faith following the Torah, which is the five, five first books of the Bible. Um, this, these were the laws. This is what they lived by. And here we have Jesus who says that he's the Messiah and in a way has turned things upside down. And so he's come, he's done the things that he's done. He's died. He's resurrected. Now he's, he's, uh, he's ascended and he's gone. Like he's no longer here has left the disciples with a mission. Matthew's one of them. And Matthew is writing to the Jewish Christians that are struggling because they're still living in a Jewish faith world. And so there's contradictions, there's going against the grain, there's uh, uh, Matthew, one of the passages, uh, I want to say Matthew 10, uh, don't quote me on it, but it is in Matthew. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. Now, he's not saying that he's not a peacemaker, what Jesus was saying was, you, you might be in a household where now you're going to be against brother or against sister or against mother or father. The reason being is I demand a decision and you live in a world that's going in a, in a different direction. And you might be the one person in your household that sees me as Lord. There's going to be naturally some conflict that comes with that. And so Matthew is writing to those folks. And in his mind, his focus is that he is elevating Jesus as the Messiah. Like I want to encourage you that this is the guy. This is the chosen one, the one that was spoken about long ago in the Old Testament. This is Jesus. So he writes, the stories that he chooses is to reflect that. So that's an idea of how Jesus is writing. So that question, are you the Messiah, is not only a setup for our entire series, but is a setup for how the book is 
written. So last week, like I said, Sean talked, Pastor Sean talked about Jesus is the righteous judge. And today we'll see how Jesus is greater than the rules. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to read the first couple of verses. Matthew chapter 12, you can follow along with me on the screen. Uh, And it goes, at about that time, we don't know really what that time meant. We just know it's going to be on the Sabbath. Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Now here we have Jesus, he's traveling with the disciples. It doesn't necessarily say how far they've been traveling or how long they've been traveling, but they've been traveling. They've been traveling long enough that they're walking through a field and they decide, man, I'm I'm hungry, so I'm gonna pick some heads of grains and I'm going to eat them. Now, keep this in mind. There are no McDonald's or Wendy's or God's Restaurant Chick-fil-A in the area. Like they're not, I mean, I know some, it's, it's funny, right? But sometimes we're not thinking about those details. There's nowhere for them to stop and eat. They, they have to eat because they're hungry, right? The other thing that we, we see is that the Pharisees came out of nowhere. I, they're always showing up, pointing things out at people. Like just like they're creep. I don't know. Um, they're just, they're there for whatever reason, and, and they, have no, they have no regard for uh, pointing things out, because that's, they were the religious crew, right? They, they were those folks that they said, what they said about religion is what went, right? So they felt entitled to be able to do that. So a couple of things really stand out to me, is that one, the disciples had a need. They had a need, they were hungry, right? We all can... We all can uh, uh, attest to that. When we hunt, like some of you guys get hangry. You know how you get when you're hangry, right? Since you're leaving here at a noon service and you're like, did you just come from church? Right? That's <laughs> so some, we know how, what hunger can do to some of us, right? So the disciples were, they were, they were hungry. Second thing is the Pharisees were actually wrong about what they were saying. Let's, why were they wrong? Well, they had come up with rules and traditions and regulations that, that were extra beyond what God had actually said about the rule, the law. This is what the actual law says, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Uh, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. The Israelites were to work six days and they were to rest on the seventh day. The idea here is that they needed God had established for them to work. They ought, they ought to work hard, but there needs to be a day where they're connected to the source of all life. Like, I'm the most important thing. I want you to remember that. So this day is dedicated to me. This rule or this law is not there to be a burden. The rule or law is there is like, you need to be connected to the source of life because time away from the source of life leads you to death. We see that in Adam and Eve. They chose 
what they wanted to do, they turned their backs from the source of all life, and now we have death in the picture, right? So it all correlates. That was the intention. And so although the Pharisees, that group of people, that sect in, 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 in the Jewish people, they may have started off keeping the law, right? That was their thing, and it was good, but it devolved into something else. The problem with the Pharisees is that they tended to be self-righteous and hypocritical. Because they developed so many extra rules and regulations, they were things that they couldn't keep. They were ridiculous things that they couldn't keep on their own, but they persecuted others because they couldn't keep it. I'm going to give you some examples. The, the Sabbath is a, is a huge one because it, their life, the, Jewish peop, the lives of the Jewish people revolved around the Sabbath. But they came up with 39 subcategories of work rules around the Sabbath. These 39 subcategories were part of what we call the Mishnah. Can you say Mishnah? Mishnah. The Mishnah was a separate thing from the Torah. I mentioned the Torah were the first five books of the Bible. Those were the laws. This is what God gave to Moses for the people, how they ought to live as his people, as his chosen nation. Right? That was written down. The Mishnah, though, was the interpretation of the law. They believe that Moses got, uh, got the law from God that was written, but the interpretation of the law was spoken from God to Moses, and that's the oral law that they kept, that they kept uh, um, sacred. But the thing was, they misinterpreted a lot of things, right? They, they made that thing the thing. And so now you have these 39 subcategories. I'm going to read some for you, and then I'm going to give you some particulars from those subcategories. But here are some of them. These are things that are considered work in their eyes. Plowing, sowing, reaping, sh- uh, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking and cooking, shearing wool, whitening, disentangling, dyeing, spinning, right, dyeing, color, coloring wool, weaving, unraveling, building, extinguishing a fire, kindling a fire. Sewing, tearing, tying a knot, untying a knot, shaping, plowing, planting, pruning, harvesting, uh, 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 sifting. Like, and I didn't name all of them for you, but I, I gave you a good amount. Like, these were all the things that they, they had to make sure they weren't doing. Here are some examples. You could not travel more than 3,000 feet on the Sabbath. Now, I don't know if you had to get somewhere, if you live close to the synagogue, whatever the, the temple, you couldn't travel more than 3,000 feet. What you could do, though, is that you could place food 3,000 feet away. Because if you had food, that was considered your home, and then you could travel an additional 3,000 feet. Do you see the nonsense around this? And I'm calling it nonsense. I'm tr- I also want to be sensitive because we have some ortho- Orthodox Jews that still live by some of these standards. If you live in a town with a synagogue, you may have noticed on, on certain Jewish holidays that you see people walking because driving for them is work. I had a coworker. Um, uh, she, she's not Jewish, but she ordered a fridge from, I can't remember, Sears or whatever. And it showed up, and then one Friday afternoon, it just stopped working. And, like, all the lights went dark. It was digital, you know. Um, it's like a cell phone that, had, that like, holds your food. And she called the manufacturer and said, what's, what's happening? This is what's happening with the fridge, so on and so forth. They told her, okay, this is your model number. Oh, you actually have a fridge with, uh, 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 that's on Sabbath mode. And what it did was, like, it shut on, because Friday sundown, 
That was the start of Sabbath to Saturday, Sunday. So everything shut down in the fridge except keeping the, the, the food cold, right? Everything shut down. The screen, all the monitor, like you couldn't see anything, no lights, nothing. There are some Orthodox Jews that have in their lighting system, it's programmed that once Friday evening comes around sundown, that the lights will turn off automatically and turn on automatically in the morning. Because turning on the light was like starting a fire, kindling a fire. And so that was considered work, and you couldn't do that. That was a violation of the law. A scribe could not carry his pen because he might write. A pupil couldn't carry his books because he might read. And you couldn't take a bath for fear if it spilled off of you while it was falling on you and hit the floor that it might wash the floor. So you couldn't, you dare not take a bath. It was a ridiculous one. It's not in my, my notes. But if you had like a string in your pocket and if it happened to tie a knot, that was violation of the law because you worked. And you, this was what their life revolved around. Can you imagine Every single week, there is a day where you put more mental energy and physical, well, you're not supposed to put physical energy, but you are because all the things that you try not to do so that you don't violate the law. So what was intended to be a day of rest to stop work, work, and connect with God became a burden and a distraction. And Jesus highlights this. He rebuts them. Uh, by highlighting the actual spirit of the law, because they were following the letter of the law, and then the actual, so if this was the line, they added extra lines to not violate that line. But what they ended up doing was making it burdensome and made it about this thing. Uh, so Jesus said in verse three, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the, the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So Jesus responds to the Pharisees, and he references two Old Testament passages, right? Things that they can't refute. And so what we're going to spend our time looking at is we're going to look at those two references, and then we're going to read some, some, uh, some of the proceeding verses that talk more about Sabbath and how, they, how the Pharisees look at Sabbath. And so let's look at David's reference. David's reference is from 1 Samuel 21. We don't have the time to read it, but I'll give you some highlights. So David is running away from King Saul. David was the, at the time, he was the, uh, the captain of, of Saul's bodyguard, right? He went on many missions, some amazing things, had a lot of victories. But King Saul was always jealous of David because God had rejected Saul and anointed David as the next king of Israel. And so now Saul is out for his life. David is on the run. So he gets to the town and he goes to the priest Ahimelech and he shows up. And, and, and the priest says, oh, David, it's good to see you, but why are you by yourself, right? Because when David, whenever David went out on a, a missionary campaign, he had the whole entourage. He had the men, he had the guys, he was ready to go. But this time he's by himself. That stood out to Ahimelech. He says, why are you by yourself? David lies and says, you know what? I'm on a secret mission for the king. I just, 
had to get up and go and I'm missing all these things. Do you have any bread that I can eat and that I can share with my companions that will meet me at a certain place at a certain time? The priest hearing this says, yeah, we have some, we have some bread that we just switched over because it was the Sabbath. It was a Sabbath day. And some detail about that, and there are a lot of details I'm gonna, we're going to talk about, but it's just so we can get a good understanding. So we're going to nerd out a bit, but hang with me, okay? The bread, uh, uh, back in Exodus chapter 25, verse 30, God gives instructions, and he says there needs to be bread, we call that the bread of the presence, or show bread, that needs to be in my presence at all times, continuously. And that bread only gets replaced on the Sabbath day. So you replace that with fresh bread. And so David showed up on the day that they were replacing the fresh bread. We also learned that, and Jesus mentions this as well, that this bread only the priests could eat. So this was Aaron and his lineage, right? His family, those who were designated to be priests. No other tribe in Israel were allowed to be priests at that time. And so here we have bread that is sacred bread, Nobody else could eat it. That's the law, right? And here we have David, who is not a priest, and this priest who says, you are in need, you are hungry. There goes that need again. Keep in mind of that. Here you go. Jesus brings that to the forefront. So I have a question for you guys. Did David violate the law, yes or no? Yes, he did. Jesus mentions that also. He violated the law. Let's keep going. I'm going to leave this on a, on a cliffhanger, right? And we'll come back to it. The second reference has to do with the priest working on the Sabbath. Jesus mentions that in the verses that we read. The priest had duties on the Sabbath day. One of them happened to be the presence, the bread of the presence. They had to be the ones that prepared it a certain way, bake it, and then switch out the old bread for the new bread. That was considered work. Remember the long list that we had that the, uh, that the Pharisees lived by. So they had this, they were working um, and among other things, and there were other things that they had to do. But all of this was considered serving God on the Sabbath because who gave them those instructions? God. So who were they working for? God. So was God contradicting himself because they were working on the Sabbath? It's kind of like Pastor Sean and I or any other staff or volunteers even. This Sunday might be the Sabbath day for you, but what are we doing? We're working. We're working for the Lord, right? We're serving others. So we, we are working. So Jesus points, points this out. And the, then the day that David visited Ahimelech, again, I said it was the Sabbath. So that priest was in the midst of, of working. So Jesus said the law of Moses permitted the priests to work in the temple because they were serving and worshiping God. The temple, Jesus calls it the temple. If you go back to Exodus, it's called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was just the tent that was a mobile temple because as the Israelites were traveling, they had to pick up and move this thing with them. But the temple, the tabernacle or the temple represented the presence of God, right? So that's where they went to worship. That's where sacrifices were made, so on and so forth. So this represented God, right? Jesus says, I am, there's someone, there is one who is greater than the temple. 
Because the, the, the logical thing is, the thing that's being represented, whatever it's representing is always greater than the representation. Would you agree, yes or no? If you call T-Mobile today or whatever service provider you have, you get the automated assistant, right? And I'll just uh, press one if you want to hear your bill. I don't want to hear my bill. Representative. Right? Skip all that. Representative. Let's get straight to the point. And then, oh, did you, do you want to speak representative? I know who I want to speak to. Yes, that's why I said it. Representative. Now, you're speaking to the representative. You don't get what you're looking for. Who do you ask to speak to? The manager or the supervisor. Why? Because you know that the manager or supervisor is greater than the representative. They have more ability to do things. This is what Jesus is saying. He says the temple was a representation of God, of his presence. I'm greater than the temple. What am I telling you? Spoiler alert. I am God. Remember, this was Matthew's point. He's wanting to elevate Jesus as God. So here we have this story where Jesus is flat out telling the Pharisees, I'm God. And you're here talking to me about the law that I came up with. Really? So if Jesus is greater than the temple that represents God on the day God asked to keep set apart for himself, right? The Sabbath. Then the first thing, the two things we're going to see revealed about Jesus. The first thing Jesus reveals about himself is he is greater than the rules, even the Sabbath. Jesus is greater than the rules, even the Sabbath. And he says this exactly in verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord, Lord, Master, over something. He, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. It's not mentioned, this detail or how it's written is not mentioned in Matthew, but you'll see it in another gospel of this same story that the Sabbath was never created to be the thing that is served, but the Sabbath was created to serve the people. Put in another way, the rule was never meant to be a burden to you. It was meant to help you. Like the bedtime rule. It's not meant to be a burden. It's not because sleep is wonderful. You, you've been a kid and you've had kids, so you can all understand this. You know you're tired. You don't want to go to sleep, but you're tired. And as soon as your head hits the pillow, you're gone. Oh, my gosh. And all of a sudden, you're up again, and now you don't want to get up because sleep is great. So is that rule a burden or a, 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 a blessing, a benefit? Right. And so... Jesus is saying, I am the Lord over the Sabbath. Like, I'm trying to let you know that I created this law and I know the, the spirit of the law. And how you guys are looking at it is wrong. And then on top of that, because I am the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus is establishing that he is greater than any religious law, regulation, devotion, or sacrifice. He knows the spirit and the heart behind the rules. But also, that means his death, burial, and resurrection He then became the fulfillment of the Sabbath rest. Because let's make one thing clear. God's laws, we're not able to live up to it. We're just not able to. And he knows that. And so there goes that need again. We are in need of a rescuer. And that's what Jesus came to do. So not only behind the the heart of that law was to give rest to people on a week-to-week basis, he came and he gave an everlasting rest. You see that connection? 
There's this quote, I don't know who it's from, but it's, it's, it's put really well. It says, Jesus was attesting to the fact that just as the Sabbath day was originally instituted to give man rest from his labors, so did he come to provide us rest from laboring to achieve our own salvation by our own works. We can't do it. We get rest from that. This is what the Pharisees were doing. Work, 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 work. Do all these things. Tie a knot. Don't tie a knot. You can't. All that crap was so that they could work for God's love. And they can't do it. Jesus came to give rest from laboring to achieve our own salvation by our own works. Because his sacrifice on the cross, we can now forever cease laboring to attain God's favor and rest in his mercy and his grace. Jesus being greater than the rules means we can truly find the rest that God intended. That's what that provides to us. But I asked a question earlier about David, right? I still want to get back to that. Back to that. David violated God's law. Jesus points this out. Okay, is this a contradiction? Is God contradicting himself? No. I think context matters. If you've established a rule, I say, Madison, I don't want you opening up the window and jumping out, out, out of it for your own good, right? I want you to break a leg or whatever. If there's a fire in the house, what do I want Madison to do? Jump out the window, You need to get out. If you break a leg, that's okay. You have preserved your life. Here's the same rule, but in a situation where the rule can be broken. This is what we see in Jesus bringing up David's violation. Not only is he revealing that he's greater than the rules, so he knows how to be flexible around it. But secondly, this is the second reveal He was revealing that he loves people more than arbitrarily following the rules. Jesus loves people more than arbitrarily following the rules. Now, I want to be incredibly clear. So I'm going to take my time with this. I don't want you to say, Pastor Rick says we can do whatever we want because God loves us. I'm not. Hey, I want you to know this. Camera, you're recording. That's not what I'm saying. All right? What I'm saying is, Scripture does not, and neither do I, say that we stop following God's laws. Now, we don't have the time today to go over what applies today and what doesn't apply today, so on and so forth, the particulars. But what we do have is that we know we ought to live by two great commandments that Jesus mentions in Matthew. You're not going to see it on the screen, but I just want to read it for you really quickly. Matthew 22, 37 to 40. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Now, this was another question from the Pharisees trying to trip Jesus up. What are the, what's the greatest commandment? He responds, this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now, you may not know the particulars, but now you know the heart behind what God wants you to do. You love him with your all. That means you submit in every area of your life, the things, and do the things that God wants you to do. And you ought to love others as you love yourself. First John 5 verse 3 says, loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So you're not doing these things, keeping his commandments, so that you can attain God's love. You're doing it because you love God, and he loved you first. And on top of that, they're not burdensome. Me telling you not to jump out the window so you don't hurt yourself is not burdensome. Me telling you don't ever touch a window between the hours of three and five o'clock because that's a violation just because that's burdensome. 
that's legalism, right? Following the rules for the sake of following the rules, even when they don't benefit you. So there are areas in our lives that we will keep, that will keep us from loving God and others the way we ought to because we have not submitted to God in them. So if you love God, you want to love God because he first loved you and obey his commandments. Do those things. But what we won't find is that he is going to place arbitrarily following the rules over your needs according to what he says. Not our wants, our needs according to what our creator has said. Does that make sense? Are we good? All right. That means you don't go just go do whatever you want. All right. Let's go to, back to verse 9, uh, Matthew chapter 12. This is the, the next story uh, talking about the Sabbath and how, they see the thi- how Pharisees see the rules. Verse 9, then Jesus went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? Here goes those Pharisees again being creepers. Like they knew Jesus was going to heal this guy, right? And so they anticipated it and asked the question because they want to trap him. They were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. Verse 11, and he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? It was a rhetorical question because he didn't let them answer. He says, of course you would. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath, like the priests were doing. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored, just like the other one. Verse 14, here the Pharisees. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Jesus uses this everyday example because he knows that they've done this. So he proves the point. Um, but he, the thing that like, boggles my mind, right? Jesus reveals his view of people. How much more valuable are people than sheep? We know that, okay, this is how God views people. But the Pharisees' response is the thing that really gets me. Here's the God that they have reverence for, supposedly. They're waiting for. They have all these rules around because they don't want to violate the law, although they're hypocrites. And they completely miss him. And he's there in the flesh, literally. And so here's the danger that I want us to consider, especially as followers of Jesus. We have to be careful that our religious preferences do not stand in the way of loving people. I grew up in a Haitian church. My, my goal is not to rag on Haitian churches. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I have just specific examples because I think we can all be subject to it. Like I'm dressed, I got a, a button-down shirt on, jeans and some Tims. I could not show up to the church I grew up in dressed like this if I did not want to be a distraction. If I wanted to be a distraction, I'm going just like this. And what? What are you going to say? Right? But, and they may not say anything to my face, but you'll you know, someone's, oh, what's going on in his life? Oh, things might not be going well. It's jeans and some Timberlands, right? But because the preference of being dressed up, because there's nothing wrong with being dressed up. I'm not saying that either. If you, got, you want to be dressed to the nines, do it. All for the glory of God. But to make that preference the rule and alienate people, that's wrong. I sat in a sermon once over uh, there, and there was a guy that visited. Um, he was from Haiti. 
and he was you get a lot from Haitians. Again, I'm not ragging on Haitian folks, but we know we got our particulars. Um, so he was saying that somebody walked into the church and he had his pants sag underneath his butt, right? He's sagging his jeans or whatever. And he said, I kicked him out the church. I was like, oh my, what? And the worst thing, we had people in the church giving like a standing ovation. Oh my, Amen. And I'm sitting there like, oh my, where am I? Dear God. And I mean, but seriously, think about it. I don't know who this guy was, where he was, but they kicked him out. Don't get me wrong. If I see it, if, uh, if, if one of your teenagers shows up in the youth group and they're like, their pants are sagging, I'd be like, ah, I don't want to see your butt crack. So can you just pull it up? You kind of look ridiculous. Like I'll, I'll do that. But I'm not going to alienate anyone or kick anybody out because of how you're dressed. Like, what if this was the day that he needed to hear the gospel? So we can be in danger of being like the Pharisees and putting the rules over the people, not meeting a need when we should meet a need for the sake of the rules. Jesus points to this in verse 7. We're going back a little bit. In chapter 12, but you would not have condemned my innocent disciples. Jesus called them innocent from what they were doing. Why? Because in Deuteronomy 23, verse 25, there's a provision made in God's laws. He says, if you're walking through the, the neighbor's field, you can pick something and eat it. But you can't store it in a basket and take it away. Like, don't be greedy, but if you have a need, eat. God made provision for that. And so that's what the disciples were doing, and Jesus called them innocent. And he said to the Pharisees, you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. It's about your character and the heart of God over checking off the boxes. Offering sacrifices was a requirement. God said it was. But he said, I, want, I desire mercy more than sacrifices. What he was referring to, this is the second Old Testament reference, was Hosea chapter 6. Verse six, there's a second part to that verse that it doesn't record Jesus saying it, but let's assume that the Pharisees knew the entire verse. And this is what it says. I want you to show love. Love and mercy is interchange. It's a Hebrew Greek translation thing, but it's interchangeable. It means really the same thing. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. David said something similar to this. In Psalm 51, he says, if you wanted a burnt offerings and sacrifices, I would have given it to you. What you really want is a broken and contrite heart. God wants a heart. He wants your heart that's bent towards him more than he wants the other stuff. Because the other stuff, and this was a, uh, a regular thing for the Israelites, it was just lip service. It was just the appearance of holiness where the heart was far from him. So Jesus wants you to do, wants us to do the right, do right towards others and be merciful over the systematic requirements of temple worship or religion. He wants you to know him more than those things. So earlier I said that Jesus might not look at following the rules like you and I do. Here's what I meant by that. If you put following the rules arbitrarily, what we just talked about, over the things that God actually wants you to do in who he is, in his character, and how he looks at people. 
If you put those things over that, then you will be like the Pharisees and miss God completely because that's what they did. Instead of recognizing that this was God himself, they wanted to kill him. Think about that, the idea of wanting to kill God because he didn't go along with what they were saying. It's ludicrous. So when it comes to loving people, what we need to be aware of is, and, and, and you guys can attest to this, agree or disagree, but I think sometimes we can look at things and we value things and even like animals more than we value people. Sometimes we can see an animal on the side of the road, like your heart breaks because they don't have a home or whatever, they're strays. And we see people that are living on the side of the roads and we don't feel anything. Maybe our hearts have become callous to it. Maybe in our minds we're justifying that oh, it must be their fault, the decision that they made. All right, but God, here's the God of the universe that says you need to love people more. I want you to love them the way that I love them. Right? And, and I, I'll be transparent. I can, there's some times where I can justify not being inconvenienced because I have something more important to do when it comes to helping someone else. And we can all do that. You know, I got to get here. I got to do this. And by no means am I saying that you need to say yes to everything. What I am saying is that we need to consider everything so that we can look and love people the way that God looks and loves people. There are some things, it's shady. If somebody, this happened to me once at South Station, approached me while I was at the ATM and had some story about being lost. That was fishy. I gave him the money, not because my heart was bent towards it, because I was like, you are cornering me at the corner of some South Station. Like, you could knife me up now, and I'll just, nobody will find me for days. So this was more out of fear than out of doing the right thing. Right? There are some situations that just, you use your better judgment. But the judgment that you're using, you want it bent towards what God wants you to do versus what you think is right. So let's conclude. Let's end this. So how can we avoid being like Pharisees and know Jesus more? It's two simple things. Uh, a mere, over or among a myriad of other things that you could do. But these two things I wanted to highlight. First, spend time in God's word so you can learn more about God. Simply put, God has decided to reveal himself through his scriptures. And back in the day, they didn't have, some of it was oral, like they were really skilled in passing down tradition orally. So it's not like us today where we can't even memorize a, a cell phone number anymore. Um, they were really great at it. But now we, get, we have the written word all put together because of years of people putting it together. Right? I, I, God had intended for this to be the case. Some of us, we don't spend the time or we won't create the time to read it. We have more important things to do. I can be guilty of this. Like I'm thinking about my day and reading scripture falls to the bottom. But how am I going to know more about God if I don't spend time reading about him and then experiencing him? Some of us, we don't know how to approach it. We're intimidated by reading scripture. Well, there's help for that. If you're in a life group, find two, one or two other people of the same sex and say, hey, could we read a book together? Could we spend some time reading some scripture together? Carve out once a week, once a month, and we're going to do this reading because we, we, we are prioritizing learning more about God. You can do that. You just have to make time for it. If you need 
sign up for a foundations class. Maybe you need to build up, like you've never read the Bible before. I get it, and it can be intimidating. But we, there are things for that. Sign up for the foundations class. There are things that you're able to do. We have right now media that we offer free. It's a premium account that we offer free for coming to Grace Church. They have tons of materials that you can do on your own. There are somebody's teaching you. Some of you, maybe you need to survey a seminary course. I don't know, but do something. Do something to learn more about God. Spending time this week preparing for this teaching, I just like seeing the heart of God more. Like that has been impactful for me. And I'm hoping it's been the same thing for you. Here's the second thing. Second thing is make decisions about how you ought to love people based on what God has said about loving them. When you filter what to do for people to be in convenience, I want you in the back of your mind that you're keeping, okay, how would God, how would Jesus operate in this manner? What would he do? And maybe you won't know, but the idea of considering who God is and his character will help influence your decisions. And like I said, I'm not saying that you would say yes to everything that everybody asks you to do. You're not trying to be a people pleaser, nor am I saying that you need to affirm everything in everybody's life because you love them. Remember, we go back to bedtime rule. My daughter doesn't like it. She may feel like she needs to eat 12 donuts, but she doesn't. It's not good for her. So I'm going to say no. Do I still love her? Yes. I probably, I love her even more than I said no. So it doesn't, just because you love someone doesn't mean that you affirm everything going on in their lives. There are areas in our lives we need to submit to God, and they do too. So I'm not saying that. What I am saying is when you do right towards them according to what God wants you to do, that's what you need to consider. Philippians 2 verse 4 says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take on interest in others too. So don't only think about yourself and what you need, consider the needs of others as well. So those are those two things. Find out who God is from his scripture, how he's revealed himself to you. And second, look and love people the way that God wants you to look and love people. Now we're going to wrap up. Um, but I wanted to speak just slightly to those, really quickly to those who may not be, um, who may be disconnected from God. And you were hearing this teaching and your, your idea might have been like, I can't follow all the rules, so I'm not ready to follow God or Jesus yet. But as we just learned, it's not about following all the rules. We can't anyway. That's why Jesus came. And so the opportunity that you do have is you can be in right relationship with God because you place your faith in Jesus, not because you can follow the rules. So the only thing that's standing between you and having a right relationship with God is whether you're deciding to follow Jesus or not. So I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads, close your eyes. Um, If you are here and you want to make the decision to follow Jesus. You realize it's not about the rules because you can't meet all the, all the requirements of God anyway. I'm going to ask you, and you want to make that decision. God is not going to force you. Is that you would pray and tell God, I understand that I can't meet all the requirements. I'm not good enough. But thank you that it's not about the rules but it's about the needs of the people. And you met that need through Jesus Christ 
and his death, burial, and resurrection. And because he did that, I can be made right with you. I can have a relationship with you. I can be your kid. And I want to be. And so I'm placing my faith and my trust in you. Knowing that when it's all said and done and my life is over, you will meet me and greet me with open arms. If that's where you are, make that your prayer. Because when you do and you've made that decision, you've gone from being an orphan to being adopted, to not being his kid to being his kid, to having the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, sealing you as his kid, and also changing you to be more like Jesus. For the rest of us, our prayer is that we would spend more time with God knowing who we, to learn more about who he is and that we would look and love other people the way that God looks at and loves other people. God, thank you for, um, thank you for showing me more of who you are. God, I'm praying that as I know more, this impacts my decision-making, how I look at things, how I prioritize my day, that I do have time set apart to stop working and connect with you because I need you. Help me to do that, God. And I pray that all of us would do the same. God, I'm praying that, um, that we would look at and love people the way that you want us to, that they would stop being an inconvenience or a barrier to what we want to do or where we need to go, but that they are part of the rescue mission, that the rescue mission is our priority. God, help me to do that in my everyday life with my neighbors, with my friends, Lord. God, and I pray for those who today they've decided to follow you. I pray that they would be surrounded and be connected to people who are heading in the same direction, that, that would encourage them to do the things that you set apart for them to do from long ago. God, that they would feel, not only know, but feel, God, that you are walking with them, regardless of what they go through, and that the hope of a life spent connected with you for eternity is the thing that fuels them each and every single day. God, we're praying all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.